Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. It isn't new to see letters like CBD or THC in ads, pop culture, and even food and coffee nowadays. With not only the legalization of recreational marijuana in Illinois, as well as other states over the last decade, there have been a lot of questions about how it operates. Some were fighting for medical use to help ease pain for chronic illnesses or anxiety, and others preferred recreational use for their own pleasure. Colorado and Washington were the first two states to legalize the recreational use of marijuana in 2012. In both locations, adults over the age of 21 can purchase and or possess up to an ounce of marijuana. The amounts of cannabis concentrates and marijuana edibles do vary though. The laws also state they permit cannabis to legally be sold and taxed at state licensed stores in a model similar to alcohol. The Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act took effect in Illinois in January 2020. Now, Illinois is the 11th state to pass an adult-only use of cannabis law, but the first to do so without a ballot referendum and with social equity provisions for disproportionately impacted residents included. In this episode, we clear the air about the impact of marijuana laws in Illinois what President Biden's expunging prior drug convictions means, along with explaining what social equity is in the cannabis industry. I'm Lizzie Baumgartner. Marijuana, weed, the devil's lettuce, reefer, and kush are a few different ways people reference the drug. We've also seen it cited in pop culture by someone who's usually heavily stoned, getting the munchies, and overall being in a silly, goofy kind of mood. (laughs) Yet cannabis, as we examine today, takes a plethora of other roles in modern society. One of those includes medicinal usage. With a medical card that is applied for through the state, folks can utilize this alternative to help with pain management instead of traditional pills. Along with that, Recreational usage has also come to the forefront of the cannabis conversation. But that doesn't come without outstanding concerns. A recent report from the Marijuana Business Daily found that nationally 81% of cannabis founders and owners who did the survey were white, while 5.7% were Latin and 4.3% were black. According to the report, several states still charge a costly application and licensing fee 
and requires business applicants to have no criminal record despite a history of black and brown folks being disproportionately targeted for drug-related offenses. Now a note, we talk a lot about social equity, so let's define it at the top. In Illinois, social equity in the cannabis industry refers to the Social Equity Loan Program, which launched in the summer of 2021 in Illinois. This program offers loans to BIPOC individuals at a low interest rate to start a legitimate business, with amounts ranging from $50,000 to $500,000. Last month, the new equity program, now named the Direct Forgivable Loan Program, will be 100% forgivable with proper documentation of expenses. The way that when Illinois legalized, the way that we structured our program was giving the existing medical operators for all multi-state operators, we gave those folks all of the opportunity in the world. We gave them 200,000 square feet of growing capacity, but the craft growers, you know, the people who are supposed to be impacted by the drug war and getting in, in the legal, you know, the adult use industry, those people can only grow 5,000 square feet. That's Peter Contos, deputy director of the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition. And he says even through House Bill 1438, which promotes equity and investments in the communities impacted by the war on drugs, there's still a lot of barriers for entry for entrepreneurs wanting to start these legal businesses. And so even if you do get the capital to stand up your business, we have essentially two different games being played. One being played by the multi-state operators who are just making money hand over fist and, and you know, they get to call the shots in Illinois and in many other states. Uh, and then you have the folks who, you know, the social equity people, the people who are impacted, who are supposed to be supported by this industry, have really been left out to dry by the state, by the multi-state operators themselves. You know, all of these folks, you know, have some blame to hold. According to the Chicago Reporter, the Cannabis Regulation Tax Act of 2019 created a timetable for issuing hundreds of new cannabis licenses most of which were supposed to provide social equity and give communities of color first priority for new licenses to cultivate and sell cannabis. Here in Illinois, even though the medical and recreational use of marijuana is illegal, there's still a lot of advocacy work being done behind the scenes to support residents. There was town hall meetings that were hosted across the state of Illinois, but specifically there was two of them hosted in, in the city of Chicago, one in back of the yards and one at the Quinn Chapel that were really well attended and Q&A was going hours long and people are asking, you know, how can we be sure that Illinois is going to legalize for the right reasons? How can we be sure that all these grand promises of expungement and decarceration, um, these promises of licensing and, and entrepreneurship opportunities um, and opportunities of generational wealth and community investment? And it was in those meetings that folks were saying, you know, well, how do we be sure that, that they actually come good on these promises? The biggest barrier in this whole industry is always capital. It's money. It's cash. Because the federal government, the U.S. government still has cannabis as a Schedule One controlled substance. That means, you know, the government sees it as, as no medical value. It has no research value. It's a horrible, terrible thing for communities. According to Forbes, 70% of cannabis businesses resort to cash-run operations because cannabis is still illegal at the federal level and the legislative divide has created uncertainty and dissuaded most federally regulated banks from servicing the cannabis industry. We had some questions about this and asked Assistant Professor and Department Chair of Cannabis Studies at Oakton Community College, Dr. Steve Fix, about these logistical issues, like what to do with large sum of cash at the end of the business day when you can't bring it to a bank. People have 
for a long time been in a bad situation of having to sit on piles of cash and sometimes get bounced around from different financial institutions. Uh, it's very common to hear, you know, that people have to switch banks because the bank decided that it was too much of a liability because of federal law. In 2021, the Safe Banking Act passed in the House. This would prohibit banks from penalizing legitimate cannabis businesses. While it hasn't been passed in Congress yet, Dr. Fix is optimistic that it will be a win for the industry. This will probably be the first in a series of cannabis reform bills. It should make loans better available to, to uh, applicants in the state because right now they can only uh, get loans from this state program. About 90% of profit loss in the cannabis industry is attributed to employee theft and 10% attributed to external theft. Meaning being a cash only service causes many dispensaries to up their security measures and thoroughly vet their potential employees. And Kanto says even if entrepreneurs save enough capital, it's still hard for BIPOC individuals to enter the market. Going to the, the neighborhood bank is not possible because they just cannot risk their financial institution by putting money up for a cannabis business. And we know that banks and the whole entire financial industry um, has a long generational history of racism and, and you know, specifically targeting, disinvesting and uh, discriminating against black and brown people specifically. And so we're not saying that cannabis would have been perfect even if people could bank. But the situation we have now is unless you're able to access you know, a large sum of cash, essentially what we're talking about, it's really difficult to stand these businesses up the state of Illinois was supposed to come out with loans, you know, over the last couple of years. They have not given out a penny yet. Companies are suffering because of that. The first social equity applicants to be granted licenses are in Chicago. A statement from Governor J.B. Pritzker says today marks the first step for retail cannabis operations to begin repairing the devastating harm caused by the failed war on drugs on communities of color. Social equity is part of the legalization law. Qualifying businesses have to hire employees from neighborhoods impacted by poverty and marijuana arrests. Critics complain more owners need to be minorities. Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM. While Illinois' first black-owned cannabis brand, 93 Boys, was launched earlier this year by musician and Hyde Park native Vic Mensa, along with Ivy Hall, a new dispensary that opened in the Chicago neighborhood of Bucktown just last month, there still aren't many BIPOC-owned shops. Block Club Chicago reports that 61% of Ivy Hall is black-owned. Another dispensary, Green Rose Dispensary, tells CBS2 that the management and ownership of it are made up of Latin, Black, and LGBTQ plus individuals. Now, what makes these two physical stores stand out? Well, they were two of the first social equity marijuana dispensaries to open after years-long delays. Social equity applicants in Illinois, they are in a terrible position of waiting to start off while bleeding a lot of, of money. And they have been asking the state for this type of loan program. And the state did start an emergency loan program uh, in making $8.75 million available last month. It, it will probably be too small to offset all of the losses that are occurring. But this is a, an ongoing issue uh, in state cannabis licensing in Illinois. 
and the lawsuits that have followed the initial round of licensing and there has just been enormous delays and it's been very difficult for people to get off the ground. That's Dr. Steve Fix again. The community college he teaches at in the Chicago suburbs of Des Plaines is one of the first to offer cannabis certification programs. We offer scholarships and we, we collaborate with industry partners who are committed to social equity, such as Pharmacan, Hatch, uh, Maribus. And so we offer scholarships that prioritize students of color, those impacted by the war on drugs and victims of domestic violence. Oakland College also um, has licensed workshops, free virtual workshops funded by a grant from the Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. And these are uh, target social equity applicants who either live in areas that have been impacted by drug laws or have been arrested or convicted of offenses. This began in 2019 and offers certificates in dispensary and patient care, transportation and logistics, and earlier this year, they added cultivation as a concentrated area of study. This assisted in an addition of an indoor campus lab to give more hands-on experience to cannabis students. It's a completely indoor facility modeled on a large-scale cultivation facility. So we're trying to replicate the experience of commercial cannabis cultivation in a controlled indoor environment as closely as possible. So this now allows students to work directly with the plant uh, in an indoor grow facility. And as our program goes forward, I believe that the cultivation will be probably the most popular certificate that we offer. Since Oakton's cannabis courses began three years ago, Dr. Fick says the diversity of his students has been notable and that educating them on not just the future of cannabis consumption in the United States, but how we got here is equally important. Our students have been very diverse, both with regard to BIPOC and, and, and persons harmed by the war on drugs. Also, a lot of returning students who are older than typical college student um, is something that, that we see. So the students are very diverse. And in class, we get into these topics deeply. So what is the role of um, ongoing discrimination and racism? Many students do have um, very compelling personal narratives. They've suffered uh, prosecution directly as a war on drugs, or they've, you know, it's disrupted the, their family life. And um, so that's absolutely something that students um, both have stories to share, but also then are able to learn uh, about the history of cannabis prohibition. And really, uh, we hope to improve the situation of Illinois social equity. But the licensing conversation is even more complex depending on what area of Illinois you're located in. Contos again. When Illinois legalized, they broke the licenses up based on what region you're in. So if you're in East St. Louis, if you're in Carbondale, if you're in Cape Girardeau, um, you're in the Quad Cities, you get different numbers of licenses based on the regions. Chicago, the the metro area is where the vast majority of licenses can go. So that's, you know, that's where most people apply because that's where most people live. There's all these licenses that are designed or that are supposed to be in Chicagoland between Chicago, Naperville, and Elgin. But what has happened is all those folks who got those licenses, and there's a lot of amazing entrepreneurs, a lot of amazing businesses who have a lot of resources, they are actually facing bigger challenges to open up in the city of Chicago because the city is just not ready to, to embrace businesses. The city of Chicago City Council is one of the most glaring examples of, of how stigma is so deeply rooted because these lawmakers, they still are very wary of it. They're still very cautious about what this plant can do or, or what it's supposed to do. 
they don't truly understand what this industry means. And so what we've seen is most people who are in a position to stand up their business are moving outside the city of Chicago and into the suburbs because the suburbs are saying, wait, you're going to bring tax revenue and, you know, customers and workers. For legal marijuana access within the city proper, options are slim. Currently, the city of Chicago's official website lists only 10 dispensaries in the town, while many more have popped up in the north, south, and west suburbs in areas like Palatine, Homewood, and St. Charles. Even smaller communities of under 20,000, like Morris in Ottawa, have businesses specializing in illegal cannabis. And so, you know, the city is actually making it a lot more difficult for entrepreneurs to get, get open because uh, they won't really explain what they want to see in terms of the zoning process. They're not making any of these applications easy to find or access. So, you know, broadly in Chicago, um, you're seeing a ton of businesses leave the city into the suburbs so they can get open more quickly. Um, you know, slowly but surely people are getting licensed in the city and eventually people will get open. Um, but it's taken years now and, you know, we still have a long way to go. For Contos, educating people about the health benefits of marijuana is important, and it was one of the main reasons why the coalition works to decriminalize marijuana overall. So when it comes to cannabis, it's, it's even more important that we educate ourselves because for so long, the U.S. government and, you know, Illinois and the city of Chicago, we have waged this war on drugs that is not rooted in public safety, that's not rooted in, oh, this is what's good for the community. This is all about racism and classism and control. And so when we talk about education, about cannabis, a lot of people still carry a stigma for very good reasons. We're not trying to downplay people's lived experiences, but it's important to note that this plant has only been criminalized for about 100 years in the United States when humans have used this plant for tens of thousands of years. You know, as long as we can trace human DNA back, we can find cannabis in residue in, you know, many continents all over the world, um, not just in, in North America. There seems to be a lot of confusion in the public about the differences between cannabis being decriminalized versus legal. For instance, Google searches like marijuana legalization tend to spike during national elections. But again, to clear the air, decriminalization simply means that the legal system would not seek the prosecution or criminalization of an offender. If a once banned substance is decriminalized, it can still be prohibited by law. Our bodies have an endocannabinoid system that is designed to receive this plant. Many people don't know that or recognize that. And so it's not to say that people have to consume cannabis. We're not telling people they have to do anything. Uh, but we want to make sure people understand that this plant has a lot of different value. Whether it's a medical patient, you know, you're trying to use it to get to sleep. You're trying to use it because you don't have an appetite. You're trying to eat. Um, you're using it to, to reduce anxiety or to treat depression or, or PTSD. There's so many different things. You know, we have you know, more serious issues like cancer and, and, and chronic illnesses where folks are getting relief from this plant. What we've commonly referred to as the war on drugs started with President Richard Nixon in the late 1960s, formally declaring a push on eradication of illegal substances and incarcerations of citizens who use them. While it's legal in Illinois and other states, there are still some concerns when it comes to smoking the blunt. A 2016 study by the New England Journal of Medicine found that continuous, long-term usage of marijuana can lead to addiction dependence to it, along with withdrawal symptoms ranging from depression, insomnia, tremors, and anger and irritability, along with chronic bronchitis symptoms and a risk in triggering chronic psychosis disorders like schizophrenia if the participant has previous family history of it.
For short-term usage, people may develop paranoia and short-term memory. However, in our recent 2020 poll by Pew Research, 80% of adults in America say marijuana should be legalized for both medical and recreational use. 30% agree that it should be legalized, but only for medical consumption. And 10% say that it shouldn't be legal, period. In 2015, the Drug Policy Alliance estimated that the American government spends over $50 billion annually on various anti-drug initiatives. So the war on drugs never formally ended, but has evolved over time to be more accepted in some areas, but also still staunchly protested by some. There are consequences from this initiative that have traveled with those into 2022. And now we're starting to see minor reformations from certain actions. Here's Contos. In Illinois, we still have thousands of people incarcerated generally. We know that there are people who are still incarcerated in Illinois for cannabis offenses. Because when, when we legalized, you know, we really only expunged and looked after the people who had low-level standalone cannabis possession charges. According to a 2020 report from the ACLU of Illinois, Black residents of Illinois were seven times more likely to be arrested for cannabis possession in Illinois before the state regulated purchase and possession last year. Contos explains that the Cannabis Equity Coalition of Illinois has a mission of helping those incarcerated for marijuana offenses. Well, we know that the, the impact of the war on drugs is so much more than just a simple possession charge. It's getting charged with having a second substance on you or having a gun or a knife. And so, you know, it's really important that we put in context, you know, yes, the state of Illinois has done some expungement stuff and some, you know, they've talked about people coming home from prison, but ultimately the vast majority of the people who are, you know, were in this industry and, in the, you know, in the legacy market, those folks are still incarcerated. And so we still have a lot of work to do on that end. The rates in Illinois counties like Tazewell, where black individuals were 43 times more likely to be arrested for cannabis, along with Peoria County, which has 24 times more likeliness to be arrested. And lastly, in Whiteside County, black individuals are 20 times more likely to be arrested for possession of cannabis. Cook County is, is one of the worst offenders in terms of that racial disparity. But we know for certain that once folks leave Cook County, it's, it's you know, there's you know, 102 counties in Illinois, and the vast majority of those counties have a, a worse disparity than, than the national average. Expungement is the process by which a record of criminal conviction is destroyed or sealed from state and federal record. The United States Sentencing Commission reports that while federal drug trafficking declined almost 8 percent between 2008 and 2013, the number of federal simple possession offenders skyrocketed almost 400 percent during that same time frame. In October 2022, President Biden pardoned thousands of individuals convicted of federal marijuana possession, but this doesn't automatically translate to a clean slate for those previously convicted. According to CNBC, Biden called on governors to follow suit and pardon marijuana possession convictions on the state level. Currently, marijuana is still a Schedule One substance under federal law, same as heroin and LSD. There was a ton of press around that, a ton of media, and people on social media were talking about how great this was, and you know they're going to let federal prisoners out of prison. And we just want to contextualize that that decision to pardon those people only applies to about 6,500 people. Again, I'm not downplaying their lived experience or, or making it sound like that's not a lot, but in this country, we have millions of people who have been impacted by the drug war. Millions. That's millions more family members and extended family who have been impacted by their loved one being incarcerated or criminalized. 
And, you know, we talk about the totality of the war on drugs. We can't just do the simple possession. We can't just do the lowest level. You got caught with half a joint when you were 17. No, if we're going to legalize it and allow people to sell tons of marijuana every single day, whether it's Illinois, California, it doesn't matter. The coalition has connected individuals with lawyers and information in order to access the expungement process and hosts record cleaning events across the state for residents. We've supported people from the moment they got their you know, rap sheet printed out to the judge saying your record is clear. So it's really beautiful to be able to look back on you know, the last two years of work and, and supporting people through this process. There's a ton more work to do because there's so many more people with records that need to get those cleared. Uh, we are doing a lot of work to make sure that we do automatic record clear and speaking to people and making sure that they're supported through this whole process. Um, but our goal is to make sure this is even easier um, and folks have even less work to do so that they can get their life on track and, and be the best version of themselves as possible. Kanto says there is still a long road ahead for marijuana laws. According to Chicago.gov, currently any type of public consumption remains illegal. The one thing that the city of Chicago has also not done is really embrace social consumption. You know, the main people who can consume are homeowners because renters, people on public housing, people who live in, you know, school housing, those folks can't consume legally. You know, I, we encourage everybody to read their lease and understand what the rules are for your housing so you understand what consequences there could be if you're, you know, consuming at home. And without specific direction or assistance from the state, courses like those at Oakton are crucial for BIPOC individuals to learn all they can. I think that the state of affairs regarding cannabis and social equity in Illinois is so stark that it's hard for anyone to, to argue that the system is really working. I think that what has really struck me is the immense gap between established players in the field, established operators in the field, and people that are really trying to get into the business. Over and over, I've been struck by the lack of a clear roadmap or the lack of any kind of state's guidance into this process. And so we're very focused on trying to make cannabis education accessible for, for all. Thanks for listening to this episode of WBBM Courier Pigeon, our newest podcast. We'll be taking a holiday hiatus until January, where we'll return with even more deep dives on topics you want to know more about. In the meantime, subscribe to us over on the Odyssey app, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. WBBM Courier Pigeon is an original podcast production. It is produced, written, and edited by Jim Henke, Lauren Brown, and Lizzie Baumgartner. Reporting for this episode was done by Lauren Brown, Lizzie Baumgartner, and archived audio from Mike Krausner. Thanks for listening to WBBM Courier Pigeon. I'm Lizzie Baumgartner. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.